face in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. We all have Red Seas. You may have heard me mention that from time to time. We all have Red Seas and we all have a a not so good place that we've all come from in life. We've all had a spot and a time in our life before we came to the Lord that wasn't the best thing. So we all have our Red Seas. And while we were struggling, we called out to God at some point in our lives and we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he heard us and God set you free. But the enemy, that old Satan, the deceiver, he does not like you to be set free. So therefore, he wants to bring you back. He wants to bring you back to where you were years ago. And many times we wind up forgetting that we've been set free. We've been set free. But he does not want you to be set free. But God is greater. In the same way God delivered Israel, he'll deliver us. We're going to go through some, some very familiar scriptures in Exodus. And I want to start by reviewing what God did for Israel in the book of Exodus. And then I want to draw a parallel between what happened in the book of Exodus to where we are today in our lives. You see, the interesting thing about the word of God and the fascinating thing about it that makes it the best sold book and the most popular book in the entire world is that the word, the word of God is not just a history book. Sure, we can read the word of God and know the story of the Exodus inside and out. But the thing with the word of God is that God just didn't give us the accounts of these events and these miracles as a history lesson. He gave them to us because those same lessons apply to us today. And the intention was for us to use the wisdom and the insights in these events listed in the Bible to help us as we go through life. So every single word in the word of God has meaning to us here in the 21st century. With that being said, let's go to the book of Exodus. We can't do anything in this ministry unless we are referring to scripture. Amen. Because it cannot be according to my opinion. It's got to be according to the word of God. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Praise the living God. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. Okay, and I'm not going to read every single verse here. I'm going to jump around because most of you <coughs> know the uh, know the accounts here. But in verse number seven of three, it says, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. Let me just turn this phone off. For I know their sorrows. Verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a, and a uh, large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Ammonites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And just to pause for a minute and go back to verse number 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Be it known that God hears your prayers. God knows your issues of life. When you cry out to God, he hears you and he knows what's going on in his life. So, so realize that. Your prayers don't fall on deaf ears. We can go to our bosses or to a a family member or a friend and start pouring out things or issues of life. But no one can listen to you and do anything about it but God. So the same way he heard Israel's uh, cries and things because of the taskmasters, God hears what's going on in your life. And he says, I am come down to deliver you out of the land of the Egyptians. 
Now therefore behold, verse 9, now therefore behold the cry of, of the children of Israel is come up unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. But thou, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel? Many times in our lives, God will tell us, this is what I want you to do. And the first thing that many times happens to us is you say, Who am I that I can do this? Who am I that I, I should be able to do what you are calling me to do? See, that's the first step that the devil has in planting that seed of self-doubt. If God wants you to do something, you'd better be know for, know for sure that God willed and has equipped you to do whatever it is he's calling you to do. You see, but Moses, and we know, we know what a mighty man Moses became, but right here in the outset he's saying, well, who am I to go and speak to Pharaoh? Okay? Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? In verse 12, God says, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee, that thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. He says, I am that I am. The little statement simply says and really means most powerfully that God is self-existent. God does not need any other being beside himself. God doesn't require sustenance or support from a father or a mother or anyone else in the universe. God is eternal and unchangeable and always the same yesterday, today and forever. It also means that he is faithful and true to all his promises and that he is unchangeable in his word as well as in his nature. There is none beside God. Simply put, I am that I am. God sent Moses to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh didn't want to set Israel free. You know the story. The devil doesn't want you free either, as I said a minute ago. But you are free. Remember that. You are free. Pharaoh finally decided to let Israel go after God inflicted Egypt with several plagues. Let's go to Exodus 13. Okay, with several plagues, he, he let him go. He decided to let them go. Remember that you are indeed free. Exodus 13, and we're going to go to verse number, verse number 17. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. Now look what God is doing here, okay? You say, when Pharaoh let the, let the people go... God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent or they get weak need and when they see war and they return to Egypt. Many times when God is sending you on a journey or when God is taking you through something in your life you've been praying to him for and God is about to deliver you. He might not always take you through the easiest route or the shortest route to get you to where he wants you to be. Because many times that shorter route 
may expose to you some challenges, may expose to you some difficulties that right now you are just not ready to bear. Many times in life, we want to hurry up and get to where we want to get to. Lord, I've been praying for this. I want this promotion. Lord, I want this. I want this car. I want this house. And we want to get from point A to point B. There may be a shorter way to get there, but if God takes you in that direction and leads you, you might not have the spiritual wherewithal to be bold enough and strong enough to take it. So what God is saying here, that that I could take them the shorter way through the land of the Philistines, but when they see what's going on there with the fighting and the wars of the Philistines and whatnot, oh boy, Israel right away is going to start crying, I want to go back to Egypt. They're going to give up because, oh boy, this is too much for us. And they'll wind up folding like a cheap suit, you see. So God says, I'm going to take them, take them the other way. All right. Uh, Verse number 18 says, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn uh, the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. They took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. Twenty one. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them the way. And led them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go day by day. All right. So here the Lord is leading them through this wilderness the way God will lead you. And God will often use when he's leading you through your particular wilderness. And a wilderness is any dry spot in your life. A wilderness can be something in your life where right now you just feel totally miserable. You feel like there's no hope in achieving whatever it is that you may be praying and hoping for. And and day to day is really, really challenging. That's your quote unquote, your wilderness. God will lead you through that. And God will use familiar things to you. Okay, it says by day here that he used a pillar of a cloud. The familiarity here was that was that the way it, it worked in, in ancient in ancient times like that. If you had a group of people that were on a march through the desert, they would use um, it's called a brazen. Um, you, you know what the old fashioned charcoal barbecue pits look like? That round kind of bowl. OK, they would use a bowl like that and fill it with wood and set it afire so that it was just smoke going up. And they would put that brazen up on poles and they would hold it up in the air. Because there were so many people behind them that during the daytime they could see the pillar of smoke and they would know that's the direction that we're going in. So God used that same principle that they were used to, but this was a, this, this, this was, was a spiritual fire. I mean, a, a spiritual cloud, okay, that he put there to lead the way while they were going through the wilderness. And at nighttime he used the fire, the fire behind them. So God will pave the way for you. He will lead you. He will lead you as you're going through your particular wilderness. All right. 22 says he took uh, he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. All right. So God was leading them through through the wilderness here as what God will do to you. And then we see in Exodus 14, chapter uh, chapter 14, starting with verse number 13. Number 13. And it says, and Moses said unto the people, fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today for the Egyptians of Egyptians whom you uh, have seen today. You shall see them no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Well, this applies to us today, too, because God is saying that is is that when he removes an enemy from uh, from before you and that enemy could be insecurity, it could be a spirit of doubt. It could be physically someone that is that is is opposing you that God will take care of them in his own way. And that person or thing or or, 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 or time will not you'll not experience it again. 
Because God says that he will indeed fight for you. This is what he said to them. If he goes on to verse number, 14, verse number 14 again, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You see, I want to dwell just for a moment here. So many times when we have the issues of life, we think that we have to, to knuckle down and try and figure out our best. How do we deal with this problem? You've exhausted every single thing you can think about. You've made all the calls you could possibly call. You've written all of the, the email or letters that you can possibly do. And you're pulling out, how can I deal with this? Remember that God is there to fight for you. You've been set free. And part of being free is that you're not in bondage anymore. You're not in bondage to the old thinking that I have to do this myself. One of the most challenging things for Christians, and because of the fact that Christians are indeed human beings, amen, we're humans, and, and, and therefore we are subject to our own thinking processes. We have this thing that we have to do it ourselves. You know, I'm macho, I'm macho Mike, boy, banging my chest. I don't need God. I can do this myself. And that's when you start getting into trouble. God is there to fight for you. He wishes to fight for you. And God can guide you through whatever it is that you might be going through in life, whatever it is. But you don't have to struggle so much to do it yourself. Sit back and relax a little bit and enjoy the coffee, so to speak. Verse 15 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, uh, Wherefore criest thou, uh, thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. That they go forward. They go forward. 16. But uh, lift thou up thy rod. And stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on, on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now, again, this is one of those things where I tell you where God may say to you, Holy Spirit may speak to you in your spirit, telling you this is what I want you to do. And you may say, well, God, Lord, what does holding up my arm, how is that going to solve my problem? What does, you know, putting a clean hanky in my back pocket, how does that solve my problem? Okay, how is that? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I've told you guys before a dozen times, but one time I was ministering to some people and did the usual prayer and, and healing line. And uh, the Lord came to this one particular woman and the Lord told me to walk around her three times. And that made no sense. But I've learned a long time ago that I don't go by what makes sense to me. I simply do what God told, tells me to do. I walked around the lady three times. The third time around her, thank God we had an usher standing behind her. And she was slain in the spirit. And she went out and the Holy Spirit just dealt with her while she was on the floor. And she just stayed there. And I said, leave her there, step over her. And we went on with the service. Amen. And when she got up, she later on told me after service, the thing that she was praying for and hoping for, she knew how to handle it. And she, she was able to move her arms and so forth like that. There was a woman who was in a wheelchair. And she got up out of the wheelchair and bought me a glass of water because I was thirsty. I was standing there praying, and I was saying, boy, I wish I had, some, wish I had some, some, some water. And I opened my eyes, and there was this woman who was sitting in the back in the wheelchair. She was bringing me the cup of water. She said, I think you need water. So we don't go doing or not doing what God tells us to do. And remember that when you're struggling with the issues of life and you're in prayer and Holy Spirit, Spirit ministers to you, you do exactly what God tells you to do. If God tells you to stand up in the middle of your living room floor and put your two hands in the air, then just do it. Don't question it. Don't do it. Because many times what God is testing in us, he wants to see how obedient we are to what he tells us to do and how sensitive we are to the calling of the Holy Spirit. See, it's relatively easy to memorize the entire Bible, but if you don't understand the inner workings of Holy Spirit and how Jesus works in your life, and how God the Father orchestrates everything, then, then, then it's like us being in a briar patch someplace because we will never, never get to benefit from the knowledge that God is trying to give us. So you got to do here, like it says here, he says in, six, in verse 16 again, but lift thou uh, up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on, go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. 17. 
And I, I uh, behold, I will harden. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon the horsemen. 19, 19 uh, goes on to say, uh, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went before their face, and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians. In the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to, to, uh, to these, so that the one came not near the other. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the, caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Okay, and you know the story from there. God opened, split the Red, Red Sea, divided the Red Sea, and they went through to victory, and they, they escaped the Egyptians. And the same way, like I said, God may give you some odd direction. Now, suppose Moses had continued arguing, arguing with God, the Red Sea would have not been divided and Egypt would have been captured. And again, remember, remember the storyline here. Pharaoh let them go. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh changed his mind. Why did I do this? I want to bring them back into captivity so I can continue using them for slaves, etc., etc. He wanted to bring them back to Egypt. As I started out saying, so it is with the devil in your life. Once you've been set free and you've, you've been touched by God and you're starting to see the miracles, when that problem in your life goes away and you're like, wow, God delivered it. God gave me a promotion. God got me the new job. I got the new house. When, when he does that, all of a sudden you're feeling so good and pumped about God. All of a sudden the devil comes back and he wants to bring you back to where you were. Back to where you have no faith in God. Back when you are feeling miserable. He wants to bring you back. Okay? And this is what we need to be aware of. And we need to remember that we are freed. Okay? If you go to verse number 28. Verse 28. And it says there, and the waters returned and covered the, children, the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea uh, after them. They re, uh, there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed their Lord and his servant, uh, and his servant Moses. So God delivered Israel. The same way God delivered Israel and set them free, God can also set you free. But the problem is that we end up forgetting that we are free. I keep saying that over and over, and I want you to remember that. Forgetting that we are free can become a habit. Forgetting that you're free can actually become a habit. If you have already allowed a habit, worry, anxiety, doubt, and bad habits to form in our thought lives, then it becomes more difficult to change the path of your thoughts. Okay, things that you do repeatedly wind up becoming a habit. Okay, you think, you know, any other bad habit that a person may have, you know, I don't know, a physical bad habit. But the same way that you you constantly doubt and you have anxiety, then that actually becomes a habit to you. And we don't think of it that way because you are so accustomed to doing it. You automatically start doubting or wind up letting anxiety sneak in because that's what you're used to doing. It's almost similar to when you you're driving a car and your car is stuck in snow. You know, in a rut, in some snow or in some mud and you're backing up and you're going for it and you're trying like crazy to get the car out of that rut. 
And you know how hard it is to do that. Well, there's the same things with habits that wind up developing in our lives. Bad physical habits, such as, as smoking or drinking, they have a root. They start off with having a root in your thoughts until they become a physical addiction. Habits start out by creating a root in your thought processes before they actually become a physical addiction. So just like with, uh, with doubt and anxiety, that's a thought process. And if you, you're constantly in the habit of, of, of thinking about, I'm doubting, I'm doubting. And, seeing it, and the, the insidious thing about doubt is that you really don't have to think about it, you know. Thinking about something implies that you're spending some time in doing it. Doubt and anxiety just comes on without you even giving thought to it. Okay, and that's because at some point in time you allowed anxiety and doubt to take a root in your thought processes, and then you wind up becoming it becomes a, 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 an habitual thing to wind up doubting. You hear some good news. Oh, well, guess what? The boss said you're going to get a raise, and the devil's like, "Why would he give you a raise? So and so is more you know, more popular than you. He likes so and so better." And there's that doubt. The God blesses you with something right away. Oh, gee, well, what if? What if? What if? You see, you see. So anxiety and doubt can become can become a, a, a habit, but it starts off in your in your mind before it actually becomes a physical thing. Even bad physical habits, such as smoking and drinking, they have that root until they actually become a physical addiction. So you need to activate your spiritual authority. Okay, to overcome that, you need to activate your spiritual authority. Many times we forget how much spiritual authority we have. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a born-again child of God. All things are made new. You've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then you have some authority. But we forget that so many times as Christians. The devil gets in our heads and gets into our psyches and tells us that you're nothing. You're going to fail. You're going to. You're kidding me. You tried that before. You thought about that before. Did it work out? No. You have some spiritual authority. Spiritual authority that we have, that we have, uh, is activated by a believer's response to faith. Your, physical, your, your spiritual authority is activated by your response to faith. Now, faith can be defined as not only the content of what we believe, but the action taken based upon who God reveals, him, reveals himself to be to you. Okay? And we had the sermon a few weeks back about faith versus uh, trust. Okay, it requires some action. It's one thing to say that I have faith, but do you have faith enough that you trust God to do whatever it is that God is wanting you to do? Faith can be designed not only defined not only the content, but the action taken. As we come to know God more intimately, and that's the key, as we come to know God more intimately through prayer and study of Scripture, we can confidently respond in faith to whatever spiritual uh, struggles we have, whatever spiritual state that we're in, we can respond to them. Physical struggles, any mountains that you face, they can be overcome the more you become more intimate with God through prayer and, uh, and reading scripture. You see, if you can't do this yourself and if, if, if you know that God is going to give you instructions and you have to know his voice, the only way you're going to know his voice is through prayer and through reading the word of God. Amen. Amen. If, 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 he, if you don't know God, then when he's speaking to you, it, it'll be like a total stranger to you. You may not even hear, you may not even hear Holy Spirit uh, whispering to you. You see, so you have to, to come, come to know God intimately. Faith with trust in God is the word for the action of exercising that spiritual authority. You have to believe and know that you have some spiritual authority. You don't have to stand for or sit back for what's going on in your life. If change is needed, something you're hoping for, something you want to build on, then exercise that spiritual authority that you have. First of all, you can go to God in prayer. You can seek the face of God. 
you can, your Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus dwells in you. Okay, you don't you know? Are you? I was, what scripture say? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit is in you. So you have some some authority. If we are to pray with spiritual authority, asking for all things and believing and trusting that we have received them, according to Mark eleven twenty four, then we must first receive by faith what God has already done. Lord, I believe I have received. Lord, I believe I am healed. How does that work? You have an issue that you're praying for, something that you need. Let's just take a physical object. Let's take a car. Let's, let's go for the big, the big McGilly. Let's take a car that you're praying for. You send up that prayer to God for that car. Lord, I need a new car, et cetera, et cetera, this and that. And so, Lord God, you know I need, I'm getting to work late because the old one keeps breaking down or whatever. Lord, I need a new car, et cetera. That's your first prayer. Now, according to what we just read before, it said that God said that he heard, he heard the cries of Israel. Because of what the taskmasters were doing to him, God heard them. God heard them. And he was going to deliver them. So when God hears your prayer, he's, he hears it. Don't think that God doesn't hear what you're praying for. Okay? So then your next thing that you're doing, exercising your faith and trust in God. You don't go to God the next day repeating that same prayer. If you go to God on day two and you're saying, God, I need a new car. I need a new car. The one that I have is keep breaking down. It's breaking down. I need a new car. That's on day two. What are you actually saying? What you're actually saying is that God didn't hear me on day one. God is not deaf. God is not forgetful. So why are you going to God day two and day three and day four and every day after repeating the same prayer? God, I need a new car. Need, you know, it's only like he would pray. I heard you the first time. You know, God hears you. He hears you. He says that throughout his word. OK, so on day two, then how do you pray? The first day you said, God, I need a new car. The one when I have keeps breaking down. I'm getting to work late. I'm going to get fired, etc. On day two, exercising your spiritual authority and exercising your faith and trust in God. On day two, you pray, Lord God, I Thank you, Lord God, because I believe that I have received that new car. Thank you, Lord God. I believe that I have received that new car. So what you're praying now is that you're saying that you believe that it's done. You're saying you believe that it's done. God, God lives. You heard me say a million times. God lives in a continuous now. That's how he he always is. There's no yesterday, today, and tomorrow for God. Only we human beings live in, 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 in lineal time, where we have yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God lives in a continuous now. So when God says, I have given you that new car, in God's mind, it's a done deal. Now, we here, earthbound individuals, we just simply have to wait until that thing materializes in the physical realm here on earth. Okay? What was it that uh, um, when, when, when Daniel uh, prayed? Pray for an interpretation to the dream, I believe it was. And, and when, when the angel delivered the ter- interpretation to him, what did he tell Daniel? He said, Daniel, when you first prayed that prayer, God answered your prayer and sent me to deliver the answer. But he says, but the prince of Tyre, which is, which is symbolic of in the Bible of, of the devil, okay, the, the prince of Tyre, he, he, uh, he over, I'm sorry, prince of Persia, overcame me. And he and I battled with him and it took me 20 and one days, the 21 days for this answer to be delivered to prayer to, to Daniel. And then the angel told Daniel, he says, but the archangel Michael came along, came along and defeated the prince of Persia. OK, so he was he was battling in the spiritual realm to bring Daniel the answer. OK, God sent reinforcements to him, sent the archangel Michael, defeated that demon, which was the prince of Persia. So now the angel was free to bring the, the answer to Daniel. So what happens in our lives is that when you're praying for that car, okay, it may take time to materialize, but realize and take your spiritual authority knowing that God answered that prayer. 
And then through your faith and your trust in God, you just know that it's going to come to pass. And this is how you remain to set free. Because otherwise, what you're going to wind up doing, you're going to wind up struggling every single day, praying for that new car when God heard what you said the first time around. God has already given us all that we need for every spiritual, spiritual struggle that you may face. Go to 2 Peter 1, 3. Praise the living God. 2 Peter. Okay. 2 Peter. And if you don't already have it highlighted, I want you to highlight this and remember it. This is a good scripture for you to return to from time to time. Okay. Exercising your spiritual authority by knowing, by knowing what God, that that God has answered your prayer. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse number 3. According to, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. According as his divine power has given us, given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Okay, according to according as his uh, power of faith has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and, and virtue. So God has given you everything that you need. So that's a done deed. That's a done deal. If God has given you everything that you need, that means that's almost like um, there, there was a woman many years back that lived in New York and uh, um, she was a transient person, unfortunately, and she lived down in the subways. She lived on the tracks homeless woman and one day she she died i don't recall whether whether has any you know harm came to her physically you know dubious harm or whatever but anyway they found her dead in the on the tracks of the subway underground and there was a shopping cart there and when they went to her belongings there were three or four bank books she had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank but for whatever reason, whatever mental issues were going on, I mean, no one ever re- re- or knew, but she had the money. So why was she living like that? Okay? Okay? We have everything that we need for life. But we can sometimes be like that homeless person with, with, the, uh, with the, the bank, money in the bank. She had the money in the bank, but she didn't go access it. She didn't go to withdraw it. So many times in our lives, God is telling us, and if you're praying to God, God will tell you, if you're praying about a situation, God will tell you, rest my son, rest my daughter, rest my child. I've taken care of it. The money's in the bank. The money's in the bank. But many times we as Christians, we forget to withdraw it. We forget to, to withdraw And how do we withdraw it? By using our spiritual authority. Okay, the ATM, ATM card that we have is called Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So it's there. God's given us all that we need. All we need to do is to access it. So when you're struggling in life, remember to yourself, remember Second Peter, to be saying, well, gee whiz, God said he provided, provided for me. So that means that it's already there. But I'm on terra firma here. I, I'm on earth and I can't quite see it yet, but it's there. So knowing that God loves you, knowing that you're a child of God, then you just have to rest in faith knowing that God's going to take care of it. Okay? And it may be 24 hours, maybe two days, maybe 24 days or whatever, but God will indeed answer that prayer. He will take care of whatever that need is. Okay? And God knows the urgency of your need. God knows the urgency of your need. I think if, if many of us stop and think back, you can think about a time. I know I can certainly, certainly think about several. 
I mean, you get to my point in life, you have a lot of points to think about. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I can think back on several times there where there were deadlines. There were deadlines where I needed something to happen by a certain particular time or date. You know, God knows that, you know. So why I get stressed out, you see, and God came through at those particular times before the deadline was up. It made, God made it happen. You know, and I would sit back sometimes and scratch my head, you know, and sometimes I would kind of picture the Lord kind of sitting there looking down at me and smiling, you know, with his feet crossed like that and saying, you know, didn't I tell you so? You know, didn't I tell you, son? So why did you worry, my son? You were here before, here before. Okay, David certainly remembered when they were trying to uh, uh, discourage him from going to to uh, to face off with uh, Goliath. And they were trying to discourage him. David told them, he said, the same way God delivered me from that bear and that lion, God will deliver me from Goliath. God, David remembered what God did for him when he was in difficulty there with the bear and the lion. You see, so God will do the same with you if you exercise that spiritual authority. As you plunge deeper and deeper into an intimate relationship with God, will you act on the truth that he reveals to you? Will you act on that truth? Will you come to trust God more so that you are emboldened to respond in obedience to what he calls you to do? See, that's the challenging thing for us humans. Do we always, are we always willing to respond to what God says? The funny thing is, is that, you know, we'll be praying for something and God may tell us, well, this is what I want you to do. And then we hesitate on doing it, you know, you know, and, and we get nervous about it. You got to stop and think that if God is telling me to do something, is God going to tell me to do something that's going to hurt me? Is God going to tell me to do something that 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 I'm going to get killed over doing? No, he's not. God's not going to tell you to do something that's going to take your life or 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 uh, I won't say embarrass you. I will. I won't. I won't say that. I will say that God will not do anything that will embarrass you. But you may feel embarrassed about doing it, but it won't embarrass you if you do what God is telling you to do. I was not going to tell you to do anything illegal, you know. So you have to remember, if you're bold enough to respond in obedience to what he calls you to do. There are some biblical ways for taking control of your thoughts and getting rid of wrong thoughts. Some biblical ways. Let's go to Matthew 4. Praise the living God. Praise the living God. We have to remember that we do not have to be struggling the way that we do, you know. And, 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 and many times, you know, and it's easy for you say, oh, it's easy for you to say you don't know what's going on in your life. Well, I know what's going on in my life. <laughs> OK, and I can tell you that I can speak from experience. We have to remember these things and remind us of these things, you know, remind ourselves. Matthew four, uh, verse number one. Then was Jesus led up to the spirit, led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward. Hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, if trying to plant doubt, if thou be the son of God, command these stones be be made bread. But he answered, Jesus answered and said, it is written, it is written or according to the word of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but uh, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's a lot there to unpack, but I just want to focus on a couple of things here. First of all, realize that that this uh, verse number two, and, he, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he went into the wilderness and was hungry. And the devil came, came at him. You recall what happened before that? Okay, before that, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Okay, and in those scriptures, it talks about how when John baptized him, it said like the, 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 the heavens opened and a dove came down, the Holy Spirit, and lighted upon Jesus. Okay, so Jesus was touched and anointed by Holy Spirit. Now, 
Don't drive yourself nuts trying to figure out that. Well, if Jesus is God and God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, why did Jesus have to be anointed by the Holy Spirit? You know, because he is God. (laughs) Don't drive yourself nuts. Okay. what this is saying basically that Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as a man in human form, the same way we need Holy Spirit in human form. So he was touched by the spirit and right away he went off into the wilderness. Okay, and the minute that he was touched and was about to go into his ministry, the devil came at, came at him. When God is leading you into something that is particularly important for your life, this is when the devil all of a sudden picks up his antenna and like an alert kind of goes out in the spirit world. Uh-oh, we've got another born-again child of God here filled with the Holy Spirit. Better give some attention to what's happening here. So Jesus goes out to the devil, to, to the desert there, to the wilderness, and when he's at 40 days, at his weakest, because he hadn't had food, the devil says, let me come against him. Why didn't the devil come against Jesus on the third day or a week after he was in the desert? He waited until he was really out there fasting. Okay, now, 40 days has significance, but that's in a sermon all by itself. 40 days here, 40 years in the, in the uh, Israel crossing the wilderness. That's a whole sermon in itself, but 40 is significant. But um, the devil comes at Jesus when he's the weakest. The devil comes at you when you're the weakest. When you're the weakest. When you're the weakest spiritually, there's something going on in your life. Maybe you're losing faith or you're not trusting God. You're getting worried about something. That's when you're really spiritually weak. That's when the devil will come at you. And the same way he came at Jesus here, he says, if you're the son of God. Jesus knew he was the son of God, but the devil plants that seed of doubt. That's what he does to you. Because if you are a child of God, if that born again thing really worked when you prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life. What if when you asked Jesus to come into your life, Jesus didn't really come into your life? What if he's tricking you? What if he's not really there? You put all those doubts in your mind, then you wind up entertaining them, and that's when you start spiraling downhill, you see? So he came in here. But what did Jesus do? Jesus hit him back with the word of God. He says, man shall not live by, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's your weapon. That's your weapon. When that doubt starts coming at you for something that you are praying for, you hit the devil. You hit that square in the, square in the head with, with uh, quoting some scripture, okay? Scripture is what drives him away. Now, quoting scripture in the time of temptation or worry or doubt is not some kind of a magic charm, okay? I'm not giving this to you as some sort of a magic charm. This is what you do. This is like, you know, like lighting three candles and hopping on your left foot during a full moon. No, 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 no. This is, this is based on, you know, this is, that's nonsense. That doesn't work. This is based on spiritual realities. You quote the word of God because the word of God is a living word and it cuts to the quick. Okay, it's a living word. So you wind up using the word of God. It's not, it's not a, a, a magic charm. charm. Quoting scripture serves the purpose of getting your minds onto a biblical track. Quoting scripture is, serves the purpose of getting, minds, getting your mind back, to, a, back to, to the word of God, back to, on a biblical track where you can use your spiritual authority. Don't forget, when you're going through this worrying process, you are very much outside of the word of God, so to speak. Okay, you're not thinking about the godly scriptural things, so you need to bring your mind back to that because the devil is expert at getting you uh, 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 to divert your attention away from God. So you got to bring it back, and that's what quoting scripture does. That's what quoting scripture does. It brings you back to your reality. Okay, okay. We live in two realities, but only one of those realities is real, and that's the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is more real than this physical realm, even though we cannot see it. Why? Because everything that exists today physically came out of the spiritual realm. 
Okay, okay, so the spiritual realm is where, is where the action is, so to speak. But we live here on, on the planet Earth, and we forget that this spiritual realm is there, which is so much power, because this is where God is, you see. So we spot that worrying thing, and we're praying to God for the same thing over and over again. We've gotten away from the spiritual realities that exist. So quoting scripture brings you back into the spiritual realm, and therefore puts you back into your spiritual authority, gives you back the spiritual authority. Okay. Okay. It's, it's, it's like the captain in a police precinct saying to you, here's your gun and your shield back. Remember that you're a policeman giving it right back to you. So according to scripture, scripture brings you back, gets you more back in line with where God wants you to go. So therefore, a daily habit of being in the word in a meaningful way is essential, especially today. There have been several sermons that have been themed um, with uh, the message of reading the word of God and regularly praying. So it must be important that we understand that reading the word of God and praying is so and so and so important. Okay, this is what keeps us spiritually grounded. Okay, otherwise, the more you stop doing that, you know, the the longer it takes you to go to the word of God and just kind of drift away from praying. You become so spiritually deficient that after a while it takes a toll on you physically. Okay. The spirit realm is first. The physical realm is second. Okay, and you want to see that happen. You stay out of prayer for a number of days and you watch what happens. Okay, not to mention the fact that you may be opening the door for the devil to do all sorts of things in your life. But you watch how you physically wind up feeling out of sorts. Again, you've heard me say many times from this pulpit here, here that there have been times even that that because of being busy or whatever, whatever, all of a sudden I start feeling all sorts of I feel kind of odd and kind of out of place and just things just don't seem right. And I say, oh, gee, oh, boy, boy, did I did I stay away or this too long from you, Lord? Or is there something that you're trying to tell me? You want to get my attention about something? And I run to my prayer closet real quick tell my wife i'm going to pray i'm going to be upstairs for a little bit or whatever take my bible and go up there into the bathroom my prayer closet is my bathroom amen amen and close the door and just go into prayer okay and that's where you get rejuvenated this is where you you this is where you physically if that's the right word this is where you physically feel the spiritual presence of god this is where you'll feel the burden that's on you, the thing that you're carrying the most. That's where you feel it released and lifted off of you. You will actually feel the burden being removed from you. OK, so you got to remember the, the realities of the of the spiritual reality. OK, um, uh, uh, if you are aware, if you are aware of a certain area of, of constant, constant temptation, that temptation, not only physical temptations, but it can be worry, anger or lust or anything else that's going in your life. We need to study and memorize key passages that deal with those issues. You know that if you're prone to, to doubt, you're prone to worry, then find those scriptures, you know, that deal with worry and, and with doubt and with doubt. You know, we know um, that through studying scripture that the. Um, the, the, the strong man for that spirit of doubt and the strong man for that spirit of worry is that spirit of fear. OK, so one of the things I do as part of my morning prayers is every single day I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind up and I rebuke you spirit of fear because my Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. So I'm setting the message for that day. Spirit of fear, you're not going to bring doubt or anxiety or anything else along with you because I'm rebuking you because God has not given me that spirit, that spirit, but given me power, love and a sound mind. So you find those scriptures that are that that mention a particular thing in your life that you may be be wrestling with with and you make that a part of your prayer action on a daily basis memorize those scriptures we need to be aware of what we are to avoid 
the negative things we ought to avoid, and how we ought to properly respond, the positive things, to tempting thoughts and situations before they are upon us. It'll go a long way to giving you victory over them, okay? Don't, don't wait until things are happening in your life to all of a sudden start uh, praying those scriptures and praying to God about it, but pray those things and rebuke those things out of your life before they start happening. If you know that there's a particular area, you worry about your job, you worry about your kids, you worry about your family, you worry about your, your mother, your brother, your sister, whoever it is that you may be worrying about, pray about that before the day even starts. In the name of Jesus Christ, find the appropriate scriptures. In the name of Jesus, encamp your ministering angels round about mom, because I know that mom is about to do so and so you pray it before it happens. You know, don't wait always until the last minute. You do it. Amen. Amen. And we can't re- we can't rely on our own things, on our own strength. Go to Proverbs 28. Praise the living God. Proverbs 28. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're a good God. Proverbs 28. And verse 26, 28, verse 26, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. So stop thinking that you can fix the problem. Okay? If you could fix the problem the first day or the first hour that that problem came into your life, you would have dealt with it. If you could fix the problem, then why is it 30 days later you're still losing sleep, losing sleep over that problem? Because obviously you couldn't fix it. So don't think that you can do everything. Stop relying on your own strength. Rely on God. We are not to feed our minds with that which will promote sinful thoughts or actions. Okay? And when I say sinful thoughts, I don't just mean, I don't mean only carnal or fleshly things. Any sinful thought that would take you away from the word of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. You you don't feed your mind anything that will promote uh, sinful thoughts or actions. Go to Matthew 26. A few more scriptures here and we'll be closing. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Thank you, Jesus. Verse number 40. Okay. Can't do things in our own strength. Verse number 40. And he cometh unto the disciples and finding them asleep, saith unto them, Peter, what could you what could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay, we can't do things ourselves. Now, we know this was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and he went back and the disciples were asleep each time he went back. Amen. So he's saying that, you know, you know, you know, you know, pray, pray, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we can't do things on ourselves. We cannot rely on our own flesh. And last couple of scriptures here is Proverbs. Back to Proverbs again. Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. 
Keep thy heart with all diligence, for, uh, for out of it are the issues of life. Okay, in verse number 23, underline, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Okay? Now, keeping your heart is, in this case, it's referring to your mind. Okay? And your spirit. Keep it with diligence. Now, the word of God says diligence, so that means that it's something that we need to try to do. We may put some effort to doing. Okay? But you have to work on it. God knows that if we don't work on these things, that we wind up drifting out of it. So he says to keep your mind, your heart, keep your spirit and your thoughts. You work on actually doing it because why? Out of these things are the issues of life. So the issues of life, we can all boil it down to where it's coming from. God is telling us if we are just, if we are just savvy enough, enough to, uh, to keep it. The last scripture here is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the second law. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse number 19. I call heaven and earth to record this against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Amen? So what he's saying here on this day, to choose life. You've heard some words today. You've heard a message today. You've heard something that could potentially change your life, but it's up to you to make that choice. God can lay out things before us. God gives us all things. But being that we are free agents to make up our choices in life, then it's up to us. So when you come to church and you hear a word, I don't care whether it's today or any other Sunday that you're in church, you hear a word that touches you in a certain way, then it's time for you to make a decision to choose what it is that you want to do. God does not want you to struggle. It's as simple as that. But Jesus did say that uh, in this life that you shall have tribulations. He didn't say if, he said when, when you have tribulations, to remember that he is greater, that he came to overcome the world. So therefore, Jesus tells us that we will have these tribulations. As long as we're in these physical bodies living on this physical earth, we will have tribulations. But Jesus is greater. So what do we do? We choose. We choose. We choose life. We choose to do what the word of God is telling us to do. Amen. Amen. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And now, before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.